morning. We're going to continue our series in the Gospel of Luke this morning. Luke chapter 10. We'll be in verses 38 through 42. Luke chapter 10, 38 through 42. I'm going to pray for us once more, and then we're going to dive in here to, to God's Word. Would you pray with me? Father, as we come to your word now, we, we pray that you would speak, and we pray that we would listen. Father, I confess as I come to this, this text, I have all sorts of anxieties and things that trouble me and distract me and distress me. Uh, Lord, I ask that now in this preaching of your word that I would, uh, I would decrease and that Christ would increase. And help nothing in me to hinder all of us, including me, to hear from, from the word that has been given by the, the Holy Spirit to help us to see Jesus, that we, Father, might know you all the more. Father, we pray that we would come humbly and sit at the feet of the Lord Jesus now by faith, believing that when your word is read and rightly uh, explained and applied that uh, we, we hear from you. And we pray that we would have ears to hear and hearts to believe and minds to understand. We pray our affections for Jesus would be raised this morning, that we would value him above all else. And we ask, Father, that you would uh, guard us from the evil one. We know that he prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And we pray that you would give him no place here that he would sow uh, no seeds of doubt and he would snatch up no seeds of truth and that he would bring no division or discord and that he would be put away and that Christ would be supreme. Aid us now in our time. Help us. In the name of Jesus, amen. Well, as we come to Luke chapter 10, verse 38 here, I want to start with asking you a little question. What if right now you found out that today, at say 1.30, Jesus was going to show up at your house. Jesus, Jesus is going to stop by for lunch. What, do you, what happens right now? What, what do you need to do? What's going on through your mind? Do you think, oh no, I should, I should maybe dip out right now. I've got a vacuum. Are you thinking, the, gar- the garbage has to go out before Jesus comes into my house? I've got to, I haven't dusted in 10 years. I need to dust. I need to go right now and dust. Are, are you thinking, what did the kids do to the bathroom? Oh, no. Jesus can't use that bathroom. What are we going to do? Or do you think, I need to pray. Do, do you think, there's, there's some sin I need to, to confess before Jesus shows up at my house? Do you think, I should, I should probably skip, skip lunch, and I should probably spend some time reading, reading the Gospels and, and, and watching His interactions and maybe writing down some questions that I could ask Him about, what did He mean by this, or what would that mean for me in, in this? Are there maybe some people that I would, I would maybe want to call and try and reconcile with before Jesus, the all-knowing one, showed up at my house to ask me some questions and share fellowship with me? 
I wonder which one first came to your mind. We're in Washington, D.C., and there's many an A-type in this room, and I'm suspecting the first one is probably the one that many of us, our default reaction is to run toward, toward doing and being and fixing and getting things in, in order. Well, this morning as we come to Luke chapter 10, we're going to two, see two sisters, maybe two of the most famous sisters in the Bible, Mary, the student, and Martha, the servant. Mary, if you will, her, her favorite verse was probably something like, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs for you. And Martha's may have been, faith without works is dead. What we're going to see this morning is that both of those are very true. They're both very important, but that we must keep them in the proper order. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42, and we're going to see this encounter that Jesus has in this home with these two sisters, and, and then we're going to consider what that might what that mean for us. Luke chapter 10, verse 38. Now as they, meaning Jesus and the disciples, went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. As we come to this text this morning, we're going to have a, a big idea that, that will guide us through. I think this is kind of the main, main point of our, our text this morning. It's this, that Jesus assures us that the one good and necessary portion in this life is to listen to and learn from Him. Jesus assures us that the one good and necessary portion in this life is to listen to and learn from Him. That this is to be the ongoing posture of His, his people. And we're not going to have any points as we walk through this. We're just going to take that big idea and watch it unfold as we consider the scene together. And then we'll conclude with a few uh, applications and reflections for us as a church and as individuals. So verse 38 again. Now as, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a, a village. Now we learn that this, this, this village is, is Bethany. It's about two miles east of Jerusalem. In John chapter 11, uh, verse 1, we see that this is the home of a family who became very dear to, G- to Jesus. This is what John 11.1 1 says. Now, a, a certain man was ill, Lazarus, of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. And then it goes on to tell us in John chapter 11, verse 5, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. This was a, a family that Jesus knew and loved and was dear to him. Uh, 
they, in a sense, served as a bit of a, a refuge for Jesus. Just two miles away in Jerusalem, there's many who hated him and wanted to see him die. But here, Jesus had beloved friends. Just a couple uh, chapters earlier, well, just a chapter earlier, actually here in Luke's Gospel, we're reminded in, in 958, Jesus said, The Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Speaking about the fact that he had left his heavenly home to come here and that he wasn't building a kingdom here and that he was often traveling, very often homeless as it were. But here he finds a place to rest and to refresh. This is a home that he frequents often. In John chapter 12 we get another scene in this same house. Listen to this. This is after Lazarus rose from the dead, which would have been a really cool dinner to be at. But anyway, it says this, six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was, was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, of course, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his, ha- his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the, fragrant, uh, the fragrance of the, the perfume. Here again, we see Martha and Mary doing their thing. Martha's serving, and Mary's over there weeping at at Jesus' feet. But this house, I think we should see here, is a house of love. There is warmth in this house. Jesus has fellowship with them and them with Him. It was a house of love. But it was also a house of lessons. Back here in our text... 10.38, it says, A woman named Martha welcomed him into her house, and she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching, but Martha was distracted with much serving. Here in verse 39, notice Mary, the younger sister, sat at the Lord's feet. The word there, it means to sit right in front of. Mary Mary took a, a front row, so she was not a back row Baptist. Shout out to my people in the back. It's good. We love you. She, she, was, she was not there. She, did, she wasn't sitting way back there. She wanted to be up front, right? Which there's nothing better about sitting up front or in the back in church. But I just want to say that. Anyway, but here we find this is Mary's place, though. Three times in the New Testament, Mary shows up, and every single time, this is where she is. She's, she's always learning. In John 11, she's, she's crying. In John 12, she's anointing feet. And here she's sitting, receiving the words that fall from his, his mouth. She is at the Lord's feet. This is the place that disciples, followers, are intended to abide. This is where we come to be submitted under his instruction and his guidance and his refining. That's what's happening right now. I mean, I'm up here, but this sermon is just as much for me as it is for everybody else. We here right now are to be submitted before the feet of Jesus, coming by faith to receive the word that comes to us from on high. This is the posture of, of the disciples. Now, I think it's really important here just to, to note how this would have been a radical scene. Completely countercultural, because women do not get invitations to seat, sit at the feet of rabbis. That they were to be busy in, in the kitchen, they were to be uh, away from the front, and the men were to be the ones who were permitted and invited to be near to the rabbi. 
But Jesus, Jesus has not come to abide by cultural norms. He has come to correct them. And he calls and permits this sister to draw near. So anybody who's ever told you that Christianity is oppressive to, woman, to women has not read the Bible and looked at history. Jesus came to revolutionize the way that, that sisters are treated. And he calls this one to come near. And as she sits there, she listened to him. It's an imperfect active, which means she's continually listening. She kept on listening. This is where she is. It's happening. And then she's just drinking up all of his words. It's a posture of, of humility. Augustine once said that water flows to low hollows of the valley. Well, Mary here has come as low as she can to drink up the waters that are flowing from the Lord of glory. There's a sense of readiness here in her, of willingness, of desire and expectation to receive life-giving words and soul-satisfying truth and sin-destroying grace. That's why she's come. And, 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 and sitting at Jesus' feet may look passive to, to many, but it isn't. This is an act of, of faith. As this morning, I hope you came as an act of faith, not just dead religion, but you came because you need a word from God. That's why I came this morning. We need to hear from Him. It's an active thing to sit before Him when we come in faith. She believes that His words give life. She has the same, the same heart that Peter had when when Jesus asked him if he was going to leave him because his teaching had gotten so hard and so many other disciples were leaving. And you remember what, what Peter said in John six sixty eight, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. You see, the disciple knows that there's no more imp- important place for us to be than listening at the feet of Jesus. Of all the lessons a disciple must learn, this one is the most important. And Martha is about to learn it. You notice there in verse 40, but Martha was distracted with much serving. The, the word but there shows a contrast between what's, what's happening. Martha was distracted with much serving. There's a contrast of, of postures in the room. And this is very important. This is not a contrast between, between good and evil, but a contrast of good and best. You see, Jesus was a servant, and he commanded us to serve, and, and we, should, we should grow, yeah, we should spend our lives in serving. There's never too much serving in one sense, unless it becomes primary, which it evidently had for Martha. She was, the word says, distracted. It's a very interesting word. It means to be pulled in different directions at the same time. You ever feel like that? pulled in different directions at the same time. Jesus is in there, but this has got to do, and she's, that's happening, right? It's an imperfect path, passive in the same way with, with her sister. This is continually happening to her. She's continually feeling pulled this way. There's, there's much serving. I mean, there's, there's hospitality to be had. Jesus is here, right? There's cooking. There's cleaning. There's candles. There's drinks. There's, you got to have the right playlist. I mean, all that kind of stuff. Because Jesus has come. And is all that wrong? Of course it's not wrong. Jesus 
called us to serve. John 13, 15, I've given you an example. This is right after he washed the disciples' feet. I've given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. So serving is obedient worship when it's in its proper place. But you see, Martha, Martha had allowed her heart to be taken away with anxiety. In the midst of her preparations for being with Jesus, she had become irritated. Verse 40, she went up to him, to Jesus, and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. The word there, she went up to him, it's, it's an explosive word. It means to, to burst in on. So Jesus is mid-wisdom you know, wisdom bomb, and she jumps in. She's like, Jesus! She just, she just loses it a little bit here. She's, she's irritated at the situation. Lord, do you not care? Don't you see what's going on here, Jesus? Are you going to let this injustice happen? My sister has left me to serve alone. Food doesn't just make itself, you know. I'm the only one around here pulling my weight. She's just sitting there again. Tell her to help me. You see, Martha thinks that Mary is being neglectful when it's actually her who is. Now, if, if Mary were, were just, you know, slugging on the couch, eating Cheetos, playing Xbox, while Martha is out here doing her, her thing and serving, uh, Jesus certainly would have re- rebuked her, right? But that's not the case. That's not, what, that's not what's happening here. The opposite is actually true. Uh, John Calvin said of this passage, it would, it would be an act of injustice to withdraw her from her place of listening to Jesus. It would have been actually wrong to tell Mary to get up and to go start doing something in this instance. Which I just think a note's important here to We should always be very cautious before bringing accusations against others. You see, at times our spiritual insight can be clouded and we may not see clearly. More on that in a little bit. Verse 41, Jesus responds here to Martha, Martha, Martha. Which, depending on how you view God, Depends on how you read that. Martha, Martha, or Martha, Martha. I think it's the second one. She, she's not doing abundant evil here. She's not all about being a hypocrite. She's, she's, she's trying to do well. But remember, Jesus is ever patient with us in our missteps, in our being misguided. He has a very patient, tender love, and I think we see this here. Martha, Martha. Tenderness, love, care, concern. My child, my child, you are anxious and troubled about many things. The word anxious here, it means to be worried, to be concerned, to have a disquieted spirit. That when we have those moments of silence, you think, I think that's the only time all week that I've been silent. She's troubled here. She's upset, bothered, distressed. There's an, there's an inward anxiety, and there's an outward agitation. By what? Well, he says right here, many things. Her mind was full. Her heart was divided. She, she lacked singular focus and, and a peace that passes understanding. She's got she's to sweep, and she's got to 
she's got to get a shower. I'm not even, I'm even having a shower yet. I, you know? I, 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 need, I, need, I need to clean out the fridge. I mean, we can't give Jesus food poisoning. We've got we to gotta do this. She's got this on her mind. She's distracted with many things. She is well-intended but misguided. Verse 41. Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. You see, Jesus is calling Martha not so much away from serving, but calling her away from serving without abiding, without remaining near to Him. He says one thing is necessary. You see, in her mind, many things were necessary, but Jesus lovingly corrects her here. While her meal is is generous and I'm sure delicious and blessed all who ate it, the meal that he serves is infinitely more important. John 6, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Augustine said of this passage, Martha was intent on feeding the Lord. Mary was intent on being fed by the Lord. You see, Jesus wants Martha to come and be fed as well. He's the one serving the good portion. The good portion, it means the best dish on the table, which here is fellowship with Jesus. That's why in Matthew 5, he said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. You see, there is one meal that satisfies the soul. There is one portion that gives peace. It gives joy. It gives eternal life. Jesus here is, in a sense, saying the words that Peter will later apply in 1 Peter 5-7 where he says, cast all your anxieties on Him knowing that He cares for you. Martha, Martha, just bring it here and lay it down and sit down and listen. And He... He so graciously points out that this, what, what makes this portion so precious? Did you catch it there? It will not be taken away. Christ's presence is the imperishable portion. There's no expiration date on the fruit of devotion with Him. Which we've got to remember, because everything else in this life will, is fleeting, and it will fail us, and it will fade away, but not what Jesus gives us. He gives us Himself. He gives us His presence, His love, which Romans chapter 8 tells us that nothing, not even death can separate us from that. These words that we see in this scene here are intended to challenge each of us individually, and they they do for me. There are few texts that surprised me during preparation like this one did. I can't tell you how exposed I felt how unqualified I've felt to preach this text. I am, it is so much easier for me to do stuff for Jesus than to just be with Jesus. And so please know, as I'm preaching this to you, this is for me. Pray for me. How, how prone I, and I trust many of us are, to be about doing without truly delighting. This can happen to pastors, it can happen to individuals, and it can happen to whole churches. 
Can, can, can healthy can once healthy churches over time lose sight of this good and one necessary portion? Can they become so about other stuff, even really good stuff, that even other churches might look at and applaud and say, that's awesome? Could they get about that and forget about true devotion? About the fact that we never graduate from loving the Lord? You bet. This same Jesus, later on, after he's ascended, he, we get a vision of him appearing to seven churches in the book of Revelation. Hear what he says to the church of Ephesus. The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven lampstands, the golden lampstands. I know your works. You toil. Your patient endurance. How you cannot bear with those who are evil. You have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and you found them to be false. I know you are patiently, uh, you're enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. This Ephesian church that for so long was known as being a faithful place was remained faithful in doctrine. They stood for truth. They wouldn't let liars go unchecked. They were bold about that. But then Jesus says this to them. But I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Now listen, we can debate all day whether Jesus is talking about they've lost love for God or love for one another, and I just want to say you can't separate the two. This, this is, the great commandment is one. So their devotion for Jesus and love for one another had, had cooled. Jesus says to an entire church, you've forgotten your first love. So what I'm going to do for the next couple moments is, is to consider what Jesus would say to, to busy people. What he might say to us individually and what he might say to us corporately in light of what we have seen here with his interactions with Mary and Martha. There's three of them if you're keeping score. Here's your first one. The first one is this. Beware of good distractions. Beware of good distractions. You see, one of the devil's greatest tools is distraction. To subtly tempt us to be busy, even with good things, in order that we might grow insensitive to the Lord. To where learning from Him and sitting before Him no longer becomes our top priority. And again, this, this can happen with just everyday things, normal things, which are, are, are maybe good and important and necessary. Maybe it's, maybe it's a season of fixing the budget, or maybe it's this time of, of, of trying to have good health and working out and watching what you're eating, or maybe it's cleaning the house, or maybe it's landscaping whenever it's that time of the year, or maybe remodeling project, or maybe it's your continuing education. Maybe it's sports that you think about and constantly checking the score, or maybe it's hobbies that you're, you're always making time to, to run out and, and to do. Again, many of those are fine, good, and even important things, some of them. But you must be very careful. 
Because over time, they can become consuming. They can become callousing to your heart. Because doing those things are a whole lot easier than pursuing the good portion. If we aren't careful, they can become so prominent in our minds and our schedules that we, we, we neglect and we hurry past the one necessary thing. And be careful because this is so deceitful. It is, it is easy to assume that you're listening to Jesus when you really aren't. I mean, if you would have, if you'd have stopped right here and asked Martha, which one's more important? Check in the crock pot or listening to the words of fall from the Son of God's mouth. I mean, she would have gotten the right answer. She, she's not a dummy here. She, she knows. But other things hurried to the front of the line in her heart. They're buttoned in here. Other things felt more pressing to her. I mean, I, I trust we've all felt this. You sit down to read the Bible and you think, well, I, I need to, I'm going to check the news first just to make sure in case I need to inform my prayers. Or, you know what, actually there's this email. If I, if I get that email done first, then I'll be able to think more clearly. Or, I, you know what, I'm going to just check social media real quick, just see what's going on there. That's never good. And then, or you know what, this actually, I, let me clean my desk first. If I clean my desk first, then I'll be able to focus because it'll be, you know what, actually, all those owner's manuals that I have, if I, if I had them in alphabetical order later on, that, that's what I should, I'll do that and then I'll come back. Maybe you're not neurotic like me, but that's what I, I, I struggle with that stuff every time just about that I go to read the Bible or pray. This week I, um, I, I thought about something about how, how prayer is spiritual warfare, and that if you don't believe that, you go try praying for 20 minutes this afternoon and see what pulls on you. See how, how difficult it is to take just 20 minutes to sit at the feet of Jesus and to pray. It may be the reading of the Bible or it may be just the daily fight to keep Jesus prominent to listening to his voice, to praying to him. When, when driving, it's so much easier to just turn on podcasts and whatever news. And, and I'm not saying that's bad, but at times it can be an easy retreat rather than the hard work of prayer. Or before you go into a meeting, just assuming, hey, I kind of got this, rather than saying, Lord, give me wisdom here. Give me help. Maybe before sending an email, stopping and saying, is this going to be wise and edifying and will this be glorifying to God? Maybe, maybe a conversation with somebody and saying, Lord, help me to not go in assuming things about this person. Help me to love them. You see, if we're not very careful, we can become practical atheists who go about our own day in our own wisdom and our own strength. And when we do that, no wonder we're so anxious. No wonder we're so stressed and so weak. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. And this can happen even in religious things. If we aren't careful, they, they, even they can distract us from listening to Jesus. We can love Christian activities more than Christ himself or just do them heartlessly. This week I got an email from Eric Butterball and I asked him if I could please read it. Um, 
I'm not going to read the whole thing, but this ministered to me just as he was meditating on, on this text. He sent me this email, and I thought I would share it with you. He says, you, as you prepare to preach on the Mary and Martha passage, I just wanted to say how important this message is for me and all of us at, at Delray Baptist, particularly living here in the D.C. rat race. We are bombarded by many not helpful things each day, but also by good Christian biblical things. Texts, emails, blog posts, videos, opportunities to serve, which can be helpful and a blessing in our walk with the Lord. He said, but there is a, there's a danger that we can get on a Christian treadmill and, and, and run fast going through the motions without ever actually abiding and communing and being still before God. He went on to say, Spirit-filled, empowered ministry overflows when we're all individually in deep, intimate relationship with Jesus, walking in the Spirit, seeking to obey Him and praying continuously. There's a danger to be super busy with Christian activity, even good things like Bible study or teaching time or reading good books, but not abiding in Christ and then getting frustrated and burning out. He said, I'm fearful in my own in my own life and for us at Delray Baptist that, that we can lose the best for the good by feeling like you have to do everything or constantly being knocking things off a never-ending to-do list at the peril of our own relationship with Jesus. Everyone is so very busy. Singles, married, those with children, those without children, young, old, it's just non-stop. I'll read the next paragraph. So from 6 to 7 a.m. is my golden hour with Jesus. No one else is up, no phone, nothing. Just my Bible and the church directory to pray for our church family. It's a sweet time with Jesus that I wish didn't have to end. I don't look at my phone until afterward because I'm afraid I'll get sucked in. I and we should commune with him in prayer throughout the day, but the reality is unless we are vigilant to guard a set time for prayer and the word in a focused way at some time in our day, it will quickly get shoved off the priority list. Mary sets a great example of choosing the best over the good. Amen, brother. Dory Baptist, there's nothing better than Jesus. There's nothing better than focusing on Him and abiding in Him. But we must be very careful because when we, when we misprioritize doing and devotion in our heart, we, it will eventually change really every relationship that we have. I mean, think about how it changed Martha's relationship with Mary. What's her posture toward her sister here? How would you describe it? And she's irritated with her. This is not just a sister or personality thing. Martha is frustrated in her heart because she thinks Mary is doing a wrong thing. There is, Martha here has, has a misplaced priority on serving. And it affected the way that she saw her sister. Beware of how misguided passion can lead you to misunderstand and misevaluate others. Righteous anger is certainly possible, but it's also one of the most easy things to assure ourselves that we're actually doing when maybe we aren't. But it's not just affect your relationship with Mary here. Who else do you affect your relationship with? With Jesus. She's a little put out with Jesus there. Look at verse 40 again. Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me alone to serve? 
tell her to help me. That's pretty bold right there. I mean, she's, she's reproving Jesus for him not reproving Mary. She's teaching the teacher rather than sitting at his feet. Her misplaced priority on serving has affected the way that she sees Jesus. As, as John Henderson said this week, she comes in and just shuts down the whole thing. She unplugs Jesus' microphone and says, here we go. What is happening? You see, she, she expects Jesus here to rearrange everything according to her priorities. Beware that not listening to Jesus will lead you to assume things about Jesus that are not accurate. To assume that you understand Christianity maybe better than everybody else. She assumes Jesus is going to totally be with her on this, right? I mean, she expects Jesus to be like, yeah, I was just thinking that. Mary, get up and go get some serving. Like, that's exactly what she's expecting is about to happen here. But that's not what happens. So beware of good distractions. Because they will cause you to miss out on the good portion and warp your relationship with God and with with others. This, by the way, Delray Baptist Church, is one of the reasons that we have minimal programs here. We want to try and keep things as simple as possible so that the main thing can always be the main thing. We're about the Word, in the Word, together, in discipling relationships where we're in one another's homes, and we open the book, and we pray, and we talk, and we help each other to follow Jesus. I'm not saying that other churches who have lots of programs can't do that. I just, I don't trust ourselves here. I think it's better to be slimmed down and as simple as possible so that we're not all just caught up in who's serving, when, where, and all of that. It's one of the reasons that we, we do that. If you want to learn more about that today at the membership class, you can, you can come check that out. So that's the first and the longest of the reflections, okay, uh, that we must beware of good distractions. The second one is this. Pursue both sitting and serving. Pursue both sitting and serving. Now, almost every single sermon that I've heard and read on this text seems to focus on, on which sister are you, right? You got to, are you the Mary or are you the Martha? One church I was listening to and, and, and the brother had everybody get out name tags to write Mary or Martha um, and put it on yourself. Which one are you? And he said, if you didn't know, then you're definitely Martha because Martha knows. Um, and, and certainly these sisters are, are different and they're It's certainly helpful, I think, to see which one of these shows some things about me. And certainly the church is filled with people who have differing temperaments and particularities. That's that's fine. But what I think is missing in that approach is is the fact that, that hearts of both Mary and Martha ought be present in every believer. I mean, this is where the context, I think, is really helpful for us. You'll remember back up in in chapter 10, verse 21, the prayer that Jesus prayed. I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and have revealed them to little children. There Jesus praised the Father that he had hidden truth from those who are wise in their own eyes and are unwilling to listen to Jesus, which turns out to be the lawyer who he tells the parable of the Good Samaritan to. That, that this, the religious leaders of the day who think they know it all actually are hardened and aren't listening to Jesus. But in that parable, he shows us that the fruit of listening to Jesus is a transformed life that shows love and compassion toward others. That we seek to be a neighbor, not just to find it and have the rules right. You see, true worship of God involves both 
wisely and humbly listening to Jesus, as Mary is here, and compassionately and sacrificially serving the needs of others as the Good Samaritan pictured. So I think Mary, again, here is the picture of the wise one who is sitting at the feet and and listening. Now, I want to be clear about this. Jesus doesn't mean that everything else, else here, with the exception of this one thing, has no importance. But rather, what he's showing here is that we must pay proper attention to the order of these things. All serving for Jesus must be empowered by being served by Jesus. It comes through sitting at his feet. You see, Martha could have gone about all the things that she was doing here with her ear toward the Lord. The problem is not here that she's serving, it's that she's she's doing it without abiding. Abiding at his feet, remaining there, takes intentional discipline and accountability from other Christians. So don't just hear this individualistically. Hear it individually, hear it as yourself, whatever you know what I'm saying. Hear it for yourself, but hear it in the context of I need others to help me do this as well. We need each other because this sort of communing with Jesus and doing everything from that posture of first receiving is not easy. Listen to what Alistair Begg says. He says, it is easier to serve than commune. Joshua never grew weary in fighting with the Amalekites, but Moses, on top of the mountain in prayer, needed two helpers to sustain his hand. The more spiritual the exercise, the sooner we tire in it. That's because there's real spiritual warfare. This is why just serving, you can't do that. And sitting needs His grace as well. We must let our doing aid our hearing and let our hearing aid our doing. Laboring for Jesus and learning from Jesus are not opposed to each other. But when they are, when they're applied rightly, they are friends that help each other to know Jesus and to make Him known. They feed one another. So pursue both sitting and serving. Come to him. Lord, help me to hear from you through your word. And listen, we we can't sit at the feet of Jesus physically. That's not where we are. We, We come and we do this by hearing him in his word. We open the word and the Holy Spirit uses the word as an instrument to help us to behold Jesus. This is how you see him. This is how you know him. This is how you hear from him. If, if you, you open the book and you read in faith, this is how we behold him. And that empowers our, our serving. So pursue both sitting and serving. And then finally, number, number three. Pursue the good portion. Pursue the good portion. This passage, above all others, is intended to aid us in the reordering of our affections. You see, it's, it's, it's to help us to come and, and to see more clearly that, that our, our anxiety and our, our doing is very often motivated by love for for ourself or comfort or, or productivity or, or ambition or goals or whatever it may be. And this text is intended to help us to see how that robs us. 
from what is actually good, from what can actually not be taken away. Sin steals it steals glory from God, this sort of anxious troubling and doing apart from abiding. It steals glory from God because we're trying to do things in our own strength, but it also steals good from us. Jesus says here that our devotion and our abiding is the good portion. Now, I rarely read from so many other sources in a sermon, but I've been very helped by other brothers and sisters this morning, so I'm gonna, I've got to give you a J.C. Ryle quote on this, Okay? This is what he says about this this good portion. It is the only portion which really deserves the name of good. It is the only good thing which is substantial, satisfying, real, and lasting. It is good in sickness and good in health. It is good in youth and good in age. It is good in adversity and good in prosperity. Good in life and good in death. Good in time and good in eternity. No circumstance and no position can be imagined in which it is not good for a man to have the grace of God, which I would say is is gained at the feet of Christ by faith. The true Christian's possession shall never be taken from him. He alone of all mankind shall never be stripped of his inheritance. Kings must one day leave their palaces. Rich men must one day leave their money and their lands. They... Only hold them until they die. But the poorest saint on earth has a treasure of which he will never be deprived. The grace of God and the favor of Christ are riches which no man can take from him. They will go with him to the grave when he dies, and they will rise with him in the resurrection morning and be his to all eternity. Jesus here is inviting Martha, to come and join Mary and for us to join them all and to see and to behold that Jesus Himself is the good portion. We know Him and delight in Him, which gives us great joy now and it gives us hope forevermore. And I trust on that last day, when we stand before God and we behold Him in all of His glory, there will not, we will not wish that we'd have, we'd have knocked out a few more emails or that we'd have gotten a few more things done on our bucket list. I am certain that on that day, we will wish we had had more time with Jesus before that time. Many of you know, if you watched the news yesterday, about the, the false alarm about the incoming ballistic missile in Hawaii. You know, that someone hit, hit the wrong button and sent out an alert to, yeah, to the entire state, warning to take cover. Because an incoming ballistic missile was, was on its way with the, the harrowing words that had not been heard since Pearl Harbor. This is not a test. Well, we have quite a number of former members of Delray Baptist Church who are in Hawaii. Um, and one of them in particular uh, I was speaking with, with yesterday, um, our Sister D. Allen. She said that she had gotten up that morning. And she, had, uh, she was gathering some stuff and getting things uh, together to go uh, to a, a, a baby shower. She had been rushing around all morning. Um, and she had, while she was driving along, she was, she was feeling irritated because the past couple weeks had been very busy and she had been, work was hard and just normal life was hard and she hadn't spent much time in the Word. And so she, she said she turned on um, her, her Bible app and it was playing 
playing some scripture for, for about five minutes when she said it shut off and, and, and her phone made a noise, and that's when she saw the alert. Incoming ballistic missile. And she said that in that moment, in that moment it hit her. She said, the past couple weeks, all I've had is five minutes of listening to Jesus. I wish I had spent more time listening to him before I'm about to meet him. In his mercy, it was a false alarm. But the Bible's very clear that there is something greater coming one day than some incoming ballistic missile. There is a day in which all people will stand before the Lord Jesus. And this text is intended to help us be prepared for that day. It's intended to help us with sober minds and hearts to step away and to say, what is the good portion? What is the one necessary thing? And is my life and my heart and my affections and my soul, is it oriented around that? It's intended to make us look at Jesus and to see this Jesus, the one who did everything right that Martha in this case did wrong. To make us to look to Jesus who always listened to the Father. The one who said that I speak exactly what the Father has told me to say. The one who said, my will is to do the will of Him who sent me. The one who in the garden said, not my will, but thy will be done. The one who perfectly always listened to the Father. It's intended to point us to to Jesus, who was always worshipfully busy. As Kevin DeYoung says in his, his little book, Crazy Busy, there's nobody who is busier than Jesus, but Jesus never did it sinfully. I mean, I mean, think about it. Nobody was busier than Jesus. All day, every day, people were coming to him and speaking to him, and he was speaking to them, and there was serving, and there was healing, and there was helping, and there was teaching, and there was correcting, and yet, we always see him abiding. We see him stepping away early in the morning or late at night to pray. We see Him drawing near to the Father. We see Him praying before the disciples. We see Him in all things, always busy, but empowered by the Holy Spirit under the submission of the Father. Jesus did it right all the times in all the ways that we don't do it right. And then He served us. He served us to give us the good portion. Jesus lived His life perfectly. And He died for all the ways that we did not upon the cross. And then He rose from the dead. And now He proclaims that there is forgiveness no matter where you have been or what you have done. In all of your busyness and all of your idols that you've put before Him and all of the things you've allowed to, to butt out Him in your heart, Jesus shed His blood to cover all of that sin. And to help us to know that in Him and in Him alone, we can be reconciled to the Father. Made right with Him and have the good portion. The inheritance that can never be taken away. Christ Himself. This is the good news of the Gospel. So if you're here this morning as a non-Christian, somebody who would say, listen, I, I hear you, but I'm, that's not me. I'm not, gonna, I'm not following Jesus. 
First of all, I just want to say we're thankful that you're here. We think there's no better place on the planet for you to be than this morning here with us talking about these important things. We encourage you to think about them and meditate on them. My question for you this morning would be, what if, what if there's more to life than just getting stuff done? What if there's more to life than just climbing the ladder or getting that promotion or getting your name known or whatever it may be for you? What this text is intended to show you, as it's showed all of us, is that anything apart from pursuing Jesus supremely, the one who made us and gave us life and makes our hearts beat right now, anything that gets in front of him and devotion to him is an idol. And it's sin to cater to and serve and seek after and try to draw life from things that were never created to give you life. All those things are intended to point you to Jesus who does give life. I want to encourage you, if that's you and you see your sin in that, I want you to know that all you've got to do is cry out and say, God, give me a new heart. Cry out to him and plead for his mercy. And repent, turn from your sin and trust in him. And if you do that in faith, he will will forgive you. Not just the praying of a prayer, but a transformation of allegiance surrendering to him, the one who gives the good portion. I would encourage you to come to Jesus today. If you want to talk about that with any of our members afterward, we'd love to do that. And then for those of us who are Christians, I would encourage you, cast your anxieties upon him knowing that he cares for you. Consider consider what it is that troubles you. What is it that distracts you? And I would encourage you to to help one another to do whatever it takes in order for you to seek him more purely, to seek him more desperately, to make whatever resolutions you need to. Put your phone in another room so that when you wake up in the morning, the first thing you do is not check the news, but it's to hit your knees and cry out to the Father. Whatever you need to do to guard your heart, a fickle heart, that is tempted so easily and so often. Whatever you've got to do to make him be central, may we be marked by that, that we would not grow cold and distant and lose our first love. May God give us grace, and may he do that now as we remember Jesus in the Lord's Supper. Would you pray with me? Father, we pray that you would now use your word and to change us. We pray that we would be served now by Jesus in the things that we have heard, that you would make something stick, that you would, by the power of your Spirit, convict us and conform us to the image of the Lord Jesus. Father, for those who are far off, might you beckon them to draw near. Might you guard us from pride and irritation and a judgment of others and even of you. God, might we be a people who are humbly submitted to Jesus, that we would hear from him and that we would, we would love him. Father, use this time around the table to that end. In the name of Christ, amen.